Happy Easter? <laughs> We've got three readings this morning, so rather than me read them all, um, Abby's going to start off, and then Hannah, and then Phil. Hiya. So the first reading is on page 967 in the Church Bibles, if anyone wants to find it. It's from the beginning of Mark chapter 16. Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salom, brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the, from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The next reading can be found on page 1091 in your Bible. And I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8 and 20 to 22. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the final reading is from Revelation 22. Um, if you want that in your Bibles, that's page 1182. Page 1182, and we'll start at the first verse of Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great streets of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruits, yielding its fruits every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Let's just pray again, shall we? 
risen Lord Jesus, as we've heard the words about your being raised from the dead, help it to give us great hope this morning. Pray that however we've come into church today, whether we've come filled with that resurrection hope, or whether we've come just with a great weight of sorrow over us, or just a feeling of stress and tension, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that something of the good news of the resurrection will impact us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was driving down a road, and I happened to notice that there was a man and a woman walking down the pavement. And the man suddenly grabbed the woman's handbag and ran off with it. I stopped the car, got out, and was about to give chase to the man who got the handbag before I suddenly thought, what on earth am I doing? Do I think I'm a superhero? You know, there is no Superman outfit under here. Um, Do you ever do that? You suddenly react, and then you reflect and think, what on earth was I doing? What was I thinking of? Sometimes it's only when you stand back that you can actually get a better view of what's going on. We've got a picture in our lounge, and this is a close-up of the painting. Can you see there, there's a little bit of a newspaper cutting. The artist who's painted this picture is really clever and has used bits of newspaper cuttings. Um, It's in French. I hope it's okay what it says. I haven't been able to translate it. I think it's something to do with salaries. That sort of gives it away where it says salary. Um, (laughs) If anyone wants to offer me a translation, you can do later. We've had three readings today. And the first reading is really like the close-up. It's like the close-up of the resurrection. What happened when the people were there? What happened when the women went to the empty tomb? The next reading takes quite a few steps back. Um, By the time of the book of 1 Corinthians, you're about 30 years later, and people have started to digest what the resurrection means. And then the final reading is later again and looks forward to that day when all the effects of the resurrection are fully um, sort of explained and fully come to pass. So the Mark reading, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Salome, they go to the tomb. All the events of Good Friday are weighing down on them. These are broken women, women who have had great hopes for Jesus, women who thought that in Jesus they had met the Messiah, the Christ, the one who God had sent. And yet all their expectations have gone. They're all shattered. They've all been removed from under them. Death has taken it. As soon as Jesus breathes his last, any hope from them will have gone. You know, death is incredibly cruel, isn't it? Death robs the world of so much potential. I'm sure all of us will have distressing stories to tell of people we've known who've died before their years. And we've been robbed. Death has robbed us of good things. You see, death destroys hopes and dreams. I don't know how you feel as this morning as we, as we look at the grave where Jesus lay. I don't know what kind of feelings just encountering our own mortality brings to you. I don't normally quote atheists on a Sunday morning, especially on Easter Day, but here you go. This is what Richard Dawkins has to offer us this morning as comfort. Being dead will be no different from being unborn. I shall be just as I was in the time of William the Conqueror or the dinosaurs or the trilobites, whatever they are. There is nothing to fear in that. I don't know about you, but that is unbelievably hopeless. There is nothing of good news in that kind of approach to looking at death. 
despite his best attempts to console us, that death is some kind of nothingness and there's, there's just nothing to fear. You know, as a minister, sometimes I have what I believe is a real privilege to be with people in those last moments of their lives. And actually, people often do feel fear. Even with a hope in Jesus, people can be fearful. Because we don't actually know what that experience of death is going to be like. We see Resurrection Day tells us somebody has gone before us. Somebody who is the Son of God has gone before us. So the women, they're here at the tomb. The reality of death is there. And they start thinking practically. What should we do? Who will roll the stone away? They're going to do what? There's the customary thing. They're going to anoint the body with spices. And quite often, I don't know if if you're anything like me or like these women here, but when things get tough, do practical stuff. Because you can control it. You can do the kind of things that are just normal and it gives some kind of purpose to life. But then they get to the tomb. And all the practical stuff has to go by the wayside because Jesus has gone. The body is not there. And in that moment, when the man dressed in white says to them, he has risen, absolutely everything changes. The fear doesn't go, but the type of fear changes. It goes from that kind of fear that can sit on us thinking, I have no idea what's going to happen. And that kind of sinking feeling to the kind of fear you feel possibly if you're on the top of a roller coaster about to go down the hill. Something exciting is about to happen. Or perhaps you don't like roller coasters. That might be a bad illustration. But what do they do? Well, they're unable to sit there and write a systematic theology of the the resurrection at this point. They don't offer any great words of reflection. Instead, what does Mark say? He says they're afraid. They're afraid. They run off. I don't know where you're up to with Jesus this resurrection day. Perhaps you're in that place where actually you're looking at death itself and you think, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of this finality of what it means to be a human being. Or perhaps you're actually in the position that these women were on Easter Sunday. They've seen the empty tomb, yet they're still afraid. They're still afraid. They don't know what to do with it. We have the first picture of the painting. This is now a second picture of the painting. Can you see we've come back a bit? Anyone start to guess where this is? Not Warrington, just in case you were wondering. Anybody? Paris. We've got there. You'll see it in a bit more fullness later on. But as you step back, you start to see the context of what's going on. You start to be able to see a little more of the detail. And you start to understand it a bit more. By the time Paul was writing to the church in Corinth about 30 years later, people had started to think, actually, what does the resurrection mean? The Holy Spirit had been at work in the life of the church. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is an amazing passage of the Bible, because it's actually the first bit of the Bible to actually be written down. And so it's the first part of the evidence that we have for the resurrection. It's about 30 years afterwards, 30 years after the events took place. And Paul the Apostle, a leader in the early church, shows us what the resurrection is about. Gone is that fear that the women first felt on that first day. What on earth has just happened? What on earth do we do with this? It's actually changed now to a deeper understanding of why Jesus died, why he rose again, and what the impact is of the resurrection. Before we look at that, just as a bit of an aside, but an incredibly important one on Resurrection Day. 
Paul is 100% convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. 100% convinced. He has met him on the Damascus Road. And he retells the eyewitness accounts, and he includes the appearance of the risen Christ to more than 500 people. Here's a quote by a man called Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was somebody who went out to write a book to disprove the resurrection, and in doing so became a Christian. And he said this, he said, I went to a psychologist friend and said, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, it was just a hallucination. He said, hallucinations are an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. I like that quote. Yeah, 500 people is double the number of people we can see in this room here. It's quite a big crowd of people. Now, over the years, people within the church and outside the church have tried to reinterpret the resurrection. And they've said things like this. The resurrection wasn't real. It was just some kind of nice idea of rebirth. Or the resurrection is just some legend with a spiritual kind of twist to it. You can't say that when you come face to face with 1 Corinthians 15. Because Paul gives us an evidence trail. He says, in effect, to the people reading, you can go and check this out if you want. These people are still around. Go and ask them. Ask any one of these 500 people. And they will start to tell you that Jesus is alive. Sorry, we've got a lot of quotes this morning. But here's one about um, the Watergate scandal. I'll just read this out. It's a bit small print. This is Charles Colson writing. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus risen from the dead, then proclaimed the truth of that for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Lies are hard to stick to, aren't they? I don't know if you've ever found yourself lying. Of course you haven't. We're, we're in church. We don't do things like that, do we? But if ever you found yourself telling a lie, perhaps when you were a child or whenever it was, you'll have found that once you tell one lie, you then have to tell another lie to cover up the lie you've told. If there's two of you telling a lie, it multiplies very quickly outwards. If there were 12 of you telling a lie, goodness knows how many times, it's a 500. I don't know. My maths is not good enough to even add the noughts onto that kind of figure. But lies, sooner or later, the whole lot comes tumbling down. But these apostles, these 500 people, kept telling the same message. We have seen the risen Christ. We have met the risen Christ. The next generation took the same message on, and the one after that. The first 300 years of the history of the church, thousands of people were killed because they would proclaim the message that Jesus has risen from the dead. For the first apostles, this was a pivotal moment of human history. Death has been defeated. Jesus, who died on the cross to forgive us of our sin, has risen again. You know, today, this morning, we have that unbroken chain right the way back to that first morning of the Easter tomb. We have the writings that go right the way back. We have the trail of testimony right the way back to that empty tomb. There's a lot of people very sceptical, aren't there? as to whether Jesus rose from the dead. Did anyone read The Guardian on Friday? There was an article in The Guardian, and it said this. It was talking very skeptically about the resurrection. It said, What happened during the first Easter in Jerusalem cannot be retrieved by methods of historical inquiry. 
It is impossible to disprove the resurrection, but neither can the evidence of the Bible compel belief that something so clearly impossible happened. Part of that is true. We can't fingerprint proof of the resurrection. We can't do DNA tests and those kind of things. What we do have is this, this testimony that goes way back. And we also have the testimony of lives that are transformed. Is it impossible? Well, if you want to argue that, you have to argue that life itself is impossible. And you have to also argue that why can our brains think about something that is impossible anyway? And so the trajectory just goes out and out and out and out. Take God out of the picture and everything seems to become impossible as far as I'm concerned. But this event, unlikely, yes, impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. So personally, I believe we have two choices this Easter Sunday morning when faced with the resurrection. Either it's the biggest hoax in the history of humanity and it has fooled some pretty bright people along the way, including the Apostle Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians, who was an incredibly clever man. And it's some kind of big deceit and misguided nonsense that brings hope to billions of people and changes lives. Or, or, it's true. Or Jesus really did rise from the dead. If it's true, so what? What does it mean? Well, this is what Paul goes on to reflect about. You know, Jesus didn't just rise for his own benefit. He didn't sort of say to his heavenly father, you know, I want a second go of life. I want to live it all again. Anyone fancy a second go of living again? You want to go back to school or any of those kind of things? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to have a go at doing any of that again. What the resurrection is about is about a new creation, about God breaking in and doing something totally different. Verse 3, Paul summarizes the message of Good Friday of the cross. He says, Christ dies for our sins. God has taken our sin, all the rubbish stuff in our life, on himself. And the resurrection proves the victory that has been had. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, but so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul here is making the point on this resurrection day, we either choose to be in Adam or in Christ. Now, Adam in the Bible is the first human being to be born, born by the will of God, but failed to live to God's ways. And because of him and Eve's disobedience, then death enters human experience. But just as death enters our experience through one man, Paul tells us through another man, but this man is the Son of God, God himself. So the resurrection from the dead can enter our experience. What has happened through disobedience of Adam is undone through the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so today, we can look at the grave and say, this is not the full stop. This is not the end. This is not all there is. There is hope beyond that. Hope does not die at the tomb. And so verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That, voice, that verse offers us some kind of choice, doesn't it? Not the first part. We will all die, unless Jesus returns first. It doesn't matter what diet you have. It doesn't matter how physically fit you are. It doesn't matter if you live in a totally pollution-free environment. Sooner or later, we will succumb and we will end up 
in the grave. That's the inevitable. Being healthy is just the slowest way of getting there. But we will all get there. (laughs) But the second part of verse 22 asks the big question of us. So, in Christ, all will be made alive. The question today for each of us is, do you want to be found in Christ? Do you want to be known by Christ? Do you want to know Christ and hear his his call to follow him? Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We will experience, as Jesus did, life that goes on forever. Today, for the first time, or on a continuing basis, will we make that bold step to say, Jesus is Lord, we believe in him, and we believe him for our eternity. Here's my picture again. That's the whole picture, with an acclaimed art critic at the side looking at it. And as you can see, it's Paris. The whole view is now there. There's the river, there's the boats, you can see Notre Dame in the background. It's autumn, probably slightly warmer than our um, spring is at the moment. But the book of Revelation is the most incredible book. And Revelation 22 has a picture of the complete newness that is brought about through the resurrection. It was my birthday earlier this month, and I had some vouchers to spend on Amazon. And being the alert person that I am, I found some things that I wanted for my birthday, put them in my basket on Amazon, and um, then pressed buy on my credit card without using the vouchers. So now I still have these vouchers, which I can spend again on birthday presents. (laughs) I think Claire's already used them for something else. (laughs) But you know when you press the order button? When you press the order button on Amazon, you know that actually things are arriving, don't you? You know that in a few days' time, we'll get a nice knock on the door from Trevor, our very friendly postman, and in will arrive whatever it is that I've ordered. But at the moment, when you press the order button, it's on its way. It's not yet complete. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we can live our lives very earthly bound. We can live our lives just thinking about today and the here and now and what we're having for lunch and where we're going this afternoon and the things that will face us in the next few weeks. Whereas actually what Revelation 22, I feel God says, is come and look out, look beyond, look and see the impact of the resurrection. Resurrection 22 is all about the arrival, the destination, the full and the final victory of God and the completion of all things. Verse 5, it says, There will be no more night. There'll be no need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign with him forever. They will reign with him forever. You know, what an amazing picture this Easter Sunday to think about reigning with Jesus Christ permanently within the new creation forever and ever. But that's what we see when we take those steps back and look at the full picture of what the resurrection has brought about. It should change our outlook. The problems of today are still here, yes, for sure. Yes, we will still have to navigate all the things. Yes, the grave will still 
be part of our reality. But we don't face it hopelessly. We face it with a renewed hope and a certainty of what lies beyond. I just want to ask you this morning, are you living life with that kind of hope today? Are you living life with a hope that is just beyond anything else we could imagine? Are we rooted in life, not in fear of, or um, death, but in a living hope of Jesus? So can I encourage each of us, wherever we're up to today, just to come and gaze into the empty tomb. Maybe today that you've got loads of questions you want to ask of what happened. How can we be sure that it happened? The so what questions. If that's you, can I encourage you? Go and talk to Scott. Scott, just give us a wave. Scott's running the Alpha course, which will answer all kinds of questions about the resurrection. Or perhaps you've, you've believed in the resurrection for years. If that's you, can I encourage you to take that step back and just see the fullness of what God has done. The victory that Jesus has won over sin and death. The hope that he has poured into our hearts. And let our joy be complete this day, because Jesus is risen from the dead. Let's pray together. I'm going to use a a prayer that if you were at the service at the dam at 7 o'clock this morning, you'll have already heard once today. But I thought it just really spoke well as to what this day is all about. On this day, we overflow with thanks and praise. O God, for this is the day that you have made, the day that fills us with both fear and great joy. On this day, you sent your angels to roll back the stone and you raised Jesus, who had been crucified from the dead. Never again need we search for Jesus in the places of dead memories and buried dreams. For now he has been raised and goes forever ahead of us to open up the gates of life preaching peace and the forgiveness of sins. Indeed, though he was the stone rejected by the builders, you have made him the cornerstone, the rock on which is founded the life everlasting, the life that is hidden for us in Christ until it is revealed with Christ in glory. We thank you and we praise you, O God, both now and through your living word eternally. Amen.